Hello, I am Katerina Sliva. I am a partner at Dentons in the Real Estate Group. I am also the head of our Land Use Planning, Municipal and Development Law Group. I help our developer and landowner clients secure zoning and other development approvals for their projects. I am the lead of our Canada Smart Cities Think Tank. I am also your host for the Smart Cities Chat Podcast Series, brought to you by Dentons. This podcast series covers a broad range of topics within the Smart Cities space. Everything from drones, communication, 5G, privacy and related issues, P3s, transportation and smart mobility, sustainable, smart communities, and much, much more. You can find our episodes at www.dentons.com on our podcast page. There you can access our episodes as well as an episode description for each topic and information on our speakers. And now over to our podcast. My partner, Chantal Bernier, will be speaking about securing social license from the start, identifying privacy challenges and strategies. Chantal leads Dentons Canada's privacy and cybersecurity practice after 27 years as a senior official of the Government of Canada, including as interim privacy commissioner of Canada. Chantal had the privilege to act as privacy counsel to Waterfront Toronto in the negotiation with Sidewalk Labs for a smart community at Keyside. And uh, thank you so much, Chantal, for joining us today. It's a pleasure as always. Over to you then. Well, thank you, Kat. What I hope to share with you this morning then is the lessons that we have learned uh, going through the Waterfront Toronto Sidewalk Labs uh, Keyside project. I'd like to set the stage And to set the stage, I would put to you these two main considerations. The first one is that, uh, in general, privacy issues do arise from digital solutions that are chosen by municipalities to optimize their services. It is not necessarily the case. For example, Kelly Gillis spoke of digital solutions to establish some food data to ensure food security. That most likely does not entail personal data, but she also spoke of uh, data to assist in prevention of suicide in uh, Inuit communities. That most likely would mean that there would be some processing of personal data. So that is how privacy law is engaged, is that digital solutions do bring us the greatest benefit we've ever had from personal data, but therefore call for commensurate privacy protection. The other point I'd like to make at the outset is that we must not think of smart cities as just one thing, like one whole smart city happens. Actually, smart cities evolve piece by piece. The first uh, lesson learned, it is a matter of social license. Anyone whether a municipality or a private actor choosing to act as a municipality must understand that it's privacy, a matter of social license. If you do not get privacy right, you will not be able to gain the social license from citizenry that you need to roll out the Smart City project. And the example of Sidewalk Labs in Toronto was so illustrative of that in the sense that even though Sidewalk Labs did everything they could after a while to just bring on the message that, yes, 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 we will building strategy, 
to uh, ensure privacy protection, they couldn't quite recover, I believe, the concerns that they are created at the beginning by not putting it really up front. The other thing I'd like to put to your attention is that even though you've had social license at the beginning, you can lose social license if indeed the use of the digital solution doesn't quite stay in line with what you've received social license for. And then I'll give you the example of San Diego smart streetlights. So what happened in San Diego is that in 2017, they chose to install smart streetlights. Those streetlights have cameras that gather data on traffic so that city planners can better identify what street is best for a bike lane, what intersection is most dangerous, where should we put parking spaces, et cetera, et cetera. So it was for city planners to improve traffic and transportation in general. Well, later on, it was discovered that the San Diego Police Service wanted to have access to this data for criminal investigations and more recently to identify demonstrators in Black Lives Matters demonstrations. Big outcry to the point that the mayor was considering dismantling these incredibly expensive smart streetlights. I mean, they did not, but it's an example of how social license that had been gained was withdrawn through a departure from the initial proposition. Then we will look at what we saw were the main concerns that kept coming back from citizens as we were doing public consultations. And the first one is the risk of surveillance. Obviously from the state, yes, of course. Um, and I put to you there the example of CCTVs because it's what we know most. And um, in 2016, Privacy International filed a complaint with the Ontario Information Privacy Commissioner saying that the CCTVs that had been installed in public transportation in Toronto were violating privacy law. And the Ontario Commissioner found that it was not the case. And it's important to see why she found that way. She said, number one, there was a demonstrated need, and that is the test for the public sector to collect personal data. Is there a demonstrated need? There was. The collection of the data, the use of the cameras was limited to that demonstrated need. It was proportionate. And so uh, she found that they were legitimate. But then if we move to surveillance from the private sector, I'll give you an example where it did go awry. And that's starting in 2012, London Olympics and uh, the city of London decided to put smart bin across the city. These smart bins could push notifications to the cell phones of passers-by in case there was a security threat. So the idea was to help people protect themselves immediately by receiving this notification. 2013, it was discovered that actually the private actor had repurposed those smart bins to actually push ads. Well, that was a departure from the initial purpose and therefore they were actually removed. Um, that is an example of surveillance from the private sector because, of course, they were picking up device ID to send the ads. The other uh, fear that kept coming up was that of breach. And I will not go very much into the legal details because it is uh, very much a technological issue. 
cities are hot targets for cyber attacks because they have so much valuable data and because they don't really have lots of resources to protect it. And so um, they are prey or at least target of ransomware and fraud. So that has to be taken into account. You will see that not only citizens had concerns, experts did as well. And um, I'll summarize them to the three main ones. The first one is, how do you get valid consent to the context of autonomous collection? How can a person consent without not even knowing or being made aware of the collection? And of course, again, I'll go back to the CCTVs. But Canadian law has developed a framework around that. So for the public sector, the CCTVs are allowed, as I gave in the example of the CCTVs in a public transport in Toronto, where they correspond to demonstrated necessity. But in um, the private sector, what is required is that the uh, organization demonstrate that there is enough signage to actually align the expectation of privacy with the surveillance, let's call it that way, and that there is proper signage so that individuals are aware and therefore it's reasonable to imply consent. Then the other issue is the distinction between necessity and convenience in the context of amazingly powerful solutions. So they can do so much, it's easy to fall for oh, this would be really necessary, when in fact it would be only convenient. And the legal test is necessity, not convenience. But I'll give you the example of smart meters where it was resolved to meet the necessity test because it was resolved that energy conservation was of such public interest that it outweighed the private interest and therefore fell in the necessity category and therefore could be legitimate. Then the consistency of use. So when you have really powerful digital solutions, well, their data that they have could easily be diverted to other uses. And the example I give you here is the San Francisco Bay Area Rapid Transit where there was allegations, never went to court. There was a settlement out of court that an app that was supposed to tell you where there were security issues in the system was actually tracking people. So there was geolocation to make sure that you could be told where there were safety areas, um, were issues, but the tracking was an add-on that had not been disclosed to the users. Anyway, settlement and an example of the risks of, for consistency of use. We're going to address a very interesting issue that came out in the Waterfront Toronto Sidewalk Labs issue, and that is data residency as a privacy issue. So um, if we just take the example of Keyside, no data residency requirements applies there. There is no data residency requirement in FIPA or in MFIPA. There is no data residency requirements in PIPADA that could impede the transfer of personal data in that case, most likely, of course, from Canada to the United States. And yet it was politically unpalatable. There was an issue that municipal data, that extent, that volume, that granularity of data that would have been picked up were transferred to the United States was an infringement of data sovereignty. And so 
opposed. And so what you do about that is that you include in the procurement agreement in a P3, the obligation to keep the data in Canada if the need arises. The next point that uh, I'd like to bring out in terms of the lessons learned is precisely in relation to the P3s. Smart cities very much rest upon P3s because they don't have all the resources and they cannot accumulate all the resources that are related to actually rolling out a smart city. So they are necessary, these public-private partnerships, but they are also raising significant privacy issues. So the first one is that the state and the private sector do not have the same privacy regimes. A public sector institution can collect personal data without consent, provided it demonstrates necessity and proportionality to that necessity. A private sector actor can only collect personal data with consent, either implied or expressed. So you have to make sure that in every digital solution, you identify properly who is truly the data going to. Is it for the purposes of the city and the state is merely engaging the private actor as its agent? Well, then the privacy regime is the public sector regime. If, on the other hand, the private sector is acting on his own, well, then it is the private sector regime that applies. So that's one distinction that must absolutely be made to assess the privacy rights as how they shake down, so to speak, in the rolling out. The other thing is that we need to take into account the fact that the private sector partner often wants data monetization to make money with this smart city. And yet data monetization is not consistent with the reason that the data is collected in the first place. So let's imagine a private utility that would have a smart uh, digital solution to sell electricity. Well, they cannot then take that data, monetize it for advertisement, for example. There are two ways where that could be done is if they do get consent or if they anonymize the data, it is no longer personal data, and then they can offer it for income, of course, as a trend identification uh, data, but not personal data. Waterfront Toronto, to make sure that they really took into account all of the related issues to the smart city, very much according to what Clint was saying earlier on, it's not just about technology, it's so much more. I mean, we're talking about a community. They set up the Digital Governance Steering Advisory Committee, Strategic Advisory Committee. And that committee was composed of many people who were representing different interests. And some of those interests were people who are facing different abilities than what is, let's say, average. And they brought out some very interesting points. It does not play out the privacy issue in the same fashion for all of us. So the first thing they brought to our attention is the issue of transparency. So for example, I said a moment earlier that with proper signage, um, you could create a uh, lowering of expectations of privacy in a public-private space, 
and therefore make it reasonable to imply consent. And they asked us, well, what about people who cannot see? Like, okay, there's signage, but this person cannot see. So you need to think of transparency for the different ways of receiving information. The second one is the challenge of anonymity for people who are different. So the example they gave us, we were talking about senses. And those sensors, we were told, no, 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 they do not capture any personal data because they only capture how people move and so on. And so one of their representatives said, okay, how about one of those residential buildings, sidewalk labs that you're thinking of setting up and you have sensors and they detect movement. And in that residential building of perhaps a hundred residents, there is someone who moves differently from anyone else. How is that person anonymous? And, and we hadn't thought of that, and that has to be integrated. The other thing is, of course, the differential impact of context. Um, whether you capture personal data in one context or another reveals very different information. And on that, I will not use the sidewalk labs uh, example because it, we did not roll it out, but I'll give you one that is very famous uh, and illustrative, and that is the case of Naomi Campbell. Naomi Campbell was photographed on the street coming out of a rehab clinic, and she sued. And the photographers and the newspaper said, no, 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 it was just, we have a public figure, we had the right to uh, portray her photographer walking on the street, and her uh, lawyers made the point that, no, you did not reveal her walking down the street. You revealed the fact that she was attending a rehab clinic. That is not the same thing. And indeed, in Canada, since uh, R.V. Spencer, Supreme Court of Canada 2014, the Supreme Court made it very clear that personal data must not only be judged as to what it is, but also as to what it reveals. And therefore, context is very important. And the final uh, point that diversity brings along is the fact of algorithmic bias. So algorithmic bias comes from the fact that algorithms are actually developed by human beings and human beings are biased. And so it's very important to build in protections from that. To give an example, the government of Canada has adopted um, guidelines on algorithmic transparency as well as guidelines on producing algorithm impact assessments. So that should there be a bias, you can at the very least not only avoid introducing it, but if you do inadvertently introduce it, you can correct it. Uh, in the private sector, of course, um, we have clients who use uh, sociologists, psychologists. One of my clients use an anthropologist to ensure that the algorithms are not biased, but that is an issue that definitely must be taken into account. I want to conclude, I would say on a positive note in the sense that throughout the Keyside project, um, I was constantly reading, of course, about cities that have already used extensively digital solutions and did it right. And Barcelona, always came up as the model and therefore giving us the um, illustration that yes you can harvest the power of 
digital data for the good of everyone while protecting the privacy of everyone. So um, this is really very short uh, explanation of the main lessons we have learned from that project. Thank you. And th thank you so much, Chantal. That is informative and fascinatingly interesting, as always. Dentance is a global legal practice providing client services worldwide through its member firms and affiliates. This episode is not designed to provide legal or other advice, and you should not take and refrain from taking action based on its contents. Please see Dentance.com for legal notices. Our speakers from this podcast episode and any other professional in our group will be pleased to speak with you on today's topic or any other topic related to smart cities. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for other episodes in our Smart Cities Chat podcast series.